Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Okay, greetings everyone. Welcome to another episode of Money Mind. Today's guest is the intriguing Sam Phelps. Sam is one of those creative types. He has an enviable career in broadcast, radio, and marketing. He's worked for top brands, including Bunnings, Coles, Microsoft, uh, Qantas, etc., in creative capacities, mostly in the audio arena. Sam has done the hard yards, starting at the bottom and working his way to the top, but I'm going to leave it to him to tell you more about that. He's a professional freelancer and refers to his work as being part of the attention economy which I'm looking forward to discussing. Um, But before we start, I think it's really important to mention that Sam was the creative director behind last year's winning Best Branded Podcast in the Australian Podcast Awards. Oh my God, who even knew they existed? So we're going to have to talk more about that too. Welcome to the show, Sam. Great to be here, Tanya. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, um, I like to ask everyone two questions to get started, and the first one is a quick one. Are you a spender, saver, or in-betweener? I'm an in-betweener. All right, fair enough. I'm an in-betweener. I spend money where I can save time or energy somewhere, and I save it when I don't need to. Okay, I like that. Great. And the second one is, can you tell us a little bit about your cultural background and upbringing? Yeah, my cultural background, I grew up in a family that was, my dad was a teacher, but he came from a musical background. And my mum has always been a a hard worker in anything to do with just community events, friends, parties, uh, worked hard in any kind of white collar job. Uh, But even before that, we've come from, uh, we were in Narrabri, which is far northwest New South Wales, cotton country, very rural, very. So I had some of my earliest years there and then um, slowly made my way in the world. Uh, to where I'm at today. Fantastic. If we go to the beginning, and, and the beginning's always hard to define, but maybe tell us how you got into the sort of broadcast radio space. Yeah, well, I was, I loved to learn, but I hated to study. And in year, I don't know, 10, somewhere around there, I started getting into community radio. And then when year 11 hit of school, I just did not work well in that kind of let's read a whole bunch of stuff and regurgitate it. And I ended up kind of dropping out of school, but because of that, I started doing more community radio. This was in Tamworth and uh, Arima FM and 2UFM and just cut my teeth there, moved to Sydney with the family when I would have been in year 12, and I just started dabbling in radio. Here's the problem, Tanya. I wasn't very good at announcing. I wasn't that great at being a broadcaster, even though that's what I was spending all my time on. But when I went to TAFE, they're like, here's this module. Like, why don't you cut the breaths out of this ad? I'm like, what's that? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) And I happened to be just a little bit faster uh, than everyone else. And then I just sort of rolled with that. And there was this whole thing with the audio production. And I've kind of been doing that ever since. Amazing. Now, I think you're leaving out a small piece there. Were you in a band at some point in time? Yeah, I mean, those those days are a bit fuzzy for some <laughs> obvious reasons. Fair enough. Uh, but absolutely, that's where I, I started to use some of those radio skills. Mm. Um, but I couldn't get a job in radio, so, like, I was just sort of doing the band thing and pretending – I was literally pretending to be a uni student at Armidale's UNE. Yeah. So I didn't go to uni, but I was at all the uni events and I lived <laughs> in a uni house and everyone just assumed I was at uni. And they're like, what do you do? Like, what are you studying? I'm nothing. I'm just a bandy. <laughs> I'm just the entertainment. Love it. Sounds like many years of fun and good times. Oh, Yeah. Now, you also left out another small little detail, uh, and I hope you don't mind me sharing, but you have told me that you were born blind. Yeah, that's right. I I forget myself <laughs> sometimes. That's why I don't bring it up. Um, <laughs> Fair but enough. It's not that I forget. It's that I've created a world around where I don't have to be reminded that that's a problem all the time. So a part of working in sound and bands and radio, shock horror, yeah. it's not as much sight as needed as say, I don't know, doing surgery, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, fairly, probably necessary Um, for surgery, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was born blind. I had cataracts, uh, congenital, 
and it was between technology eras, so they like they suck out the cataracts inside the lens and they leave the casing. These days, they just inject it with new uh, product that you can kind of see pretty well, and in the really old days, they'd just leave it in there. Right. So I'm sort of this weird hybrid, I don't know, kind of blind guy where I've got no lenses in the back of my eyes, so I have these plus 10 glasses that are giant. Yeah. People call them Coke bottles. And that's, I, I got fired from my first ever pizza job because I couldn't read the dockets properly. <laughs> and uh, and there's just so many things. I was just never good at handiwork. You know, you yeah. did this wonderful spiel at the top of this podcast of all the things I can do. Well, there's a lot more things I can't do. Ah, we're not um, going to focus on those today. <laughs> yeah, and so you just kind of navigate your world. Like it's it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. And I've learned to, to see what's not there, which I know sounds weirdly insightful, but it's just taking the patterns of the world and filling in the blanks, either literally because of sight or metaphorically, like just through the feelings of things. And I think that's why me and sound have always gotten along, <laughs> whether it's in a traditional band form or, yeah. or audio engineering and things like that, where you're just sort of feeling it. But I knew that I couldn't make a living from bands. It just wasn't. It was a silly like, you know how everyone, especially back then, this is about 2006, everyone thought they, they could be the next big thing. Absolutely. And I just knew that that was not going to be the case. Yeah. And I picked the salary of radio. So the practical yeah, that, the practical brain kicked in at some point in time and said, okay, Sam, let's be let's be realist here. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because like I like mentioned with the blind, there's just so many things yeah. I can't do or shouldn't do. Yeah. Shouldn't really be driving a truck. Yeah. You know, a big giant semi. <laughs> probably shouldn't be flying. I probably yeah. shouldn't be joining the military. And they would probably block me anyway, right? Yeah. So I was like, it was just getting serious and being real about my options with this condition that I have. Yeah. Um, I, I still think it's really interesting that, I mean, certainly it makes sense to somebody if, if they didn't ask more questions and heard you had a vision problem, it makes sense that you're in audio just from, I guess, anyone's understanding of, you know, that that might enhance your audio skills. But I also think there's part of your attitude there, which is, well, that's just something I, I don't have to worry about. I'll make my life easier around what I can control, um, which is a pretty positive attitude, something that some people may not naturally have. Are you normally an optimist? Uh, I like to describe myself as a realist. Okay. But um, so my dad is what I call a naive optimist. Fair enough. Which is like where you're sort of not quite, like you, you follow the dream, but you're not thinking about the consequences. And then there's pessimists, right, that are only imagining what can go wrong. Yeah. There's got to be somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Where you can go, if it pays off, was it worth the risk? And if it's a yes, then I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be positive about that. Yeah. Because what's the downside? Often it's just, oh, well, I, it's, there's a big difference between something going very badly and just something being inconvenient. Absolutely. You know, if you try something yeah. and it's a bit inconvenient. And I think that's just, I had to live that my life that way with, with the vision impairment and yeah. stuff like that. Because like, if I was just worried about things not working out, you would just sit there all day, right? That's like, right. Yeah. So instead you go out and play sports and you would go and live your your life and yes, I have run into things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, weird things have happened because of it. Yeah. But the richer life because of getting out there is so much more rewarding yeah. than just thinking about what can, what go, can wrong. go wrong. I really, really love that. And definitely people that know me know that that's I'm I'm all for that attitude in most things. Um and and can well we'll probably talk a bit further about how I can relate that back to a few other things. But Let's, let's get back to your career in radio because, in theory, um, I would imagine most people listening will say, wow, that sounds pretty exciting. I mean, radio, TV, they're sort of industries that most people would, you know, really be keen to get into and learn more about and there sounds like, you know, some really fun parts to that. What lessons stand out from you, um, from your experience in, I guess, climbing the ladder in radio? Yeah, climbing the ladder is surprisingly rare in most medias, yeah. which is starting at the very bottom yeah. 
and going to the very top. Most people get a bit lucky and they sort of start at the top because they know someone or their work experience or yeah. they had a connection or a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and then other people, they're, they're at the bottom and they kind of stay there no through no fault of their own. I realised like, like I had a lot of trouble even just breaking in professionally. Mm. And later on I knew why. It's because it's like, well, I was talented but I still needed – three or four other facets that other professionals to help me shine. Imagine like being a really good uh, uh, goalkeeper at sports, but yeah. <laughs> but then like your team just can't defend. There's only so much that you can do and save when yeah. you're a part of a team. And so in in my case, I was lucky, but it was the combination of that, uh, what do they call it, like work and a perseverance yeah. and like yeah, I can't remember the expression, but bit of, bit of grit um, in there, I'd say. You're earning the right to take the opportunity when luck comes your way, mm. and so I happened to. This was another thing is like I realized pretty early on that I wasn't that good at announcing. Like I wasn't that captivating. I wasn't that like I was passionate, but not compared to the other people coming through. So straight away, it was very much like, I'm just going to go in this part that I happen to be a little bit better in. And there's a little less people that want to do that. Mm. So it was recrafting my image and my desires and adjusting my goals to be in a place that was more likely to succeed. And then every job I was at, so let's say we're starting at the bottom, the only way I was able to get up to the top was not doing a good job at the current job, which was true, but overnight or first thing in the morning or on weekends or holidays, I was doing other projects that were worthy of the next step up. And we have things called uh, like audio resumes, like demonstrations, whether you're an announcer, audio, whatever. And about 80 to 90% of the work that was in those demonstrations that got me the next job had never made it to air, had never gone beyond the production that I'd done myself. Because like I said, you have people that are never going to get better and they're never going to get higher. And so you sort of got to take it on yourself to go, what can I do in my power? As opposed to just blaming the situation and going, well, if only I had better talent around me. Like I would buy voices. I would spend my own money and craft different things. I would take that time out of my life. Yep. It had nothing to do with my career, but it had everything to do with my career in the end. Yeah. So the gamble paid off. Like there's a world where that didn't work, Yeah. you know, but I don't think I would have regretted it either because – you usually regret what you don't do. And so by doing it, you either go, oh, well, this isn't for me, and you bow out at that stage, or you keep going. And that was the decision I made when I first got the call up Mm. to become a professional, which was like, well, you normally regret what you don't do. And like I was sort of starting to move away at that stage because I couldn't get a job. And I was like, do I even want to work in an agency that won't even give me a job? Even though I know I've got some talent there. And I was like, well, I'll just see how high I can get as fast as I can get. And that's exactly what I did. The thing I tell everyone in this industry is you just never know where your high point is. You just never know where the peak of your career is. So just be thankful wherever you're at. Yeah. But keep working hard to try and get to the next level. Yeah, great. And I think that it's that classic example of um, doing something over doing nothing or just wishing is, is you know, or hoping that something's going to change, isn't going to achieve anything. But like you say, if you keep pushing, keep moving forward, something's bound to happen that ends up what you want it to be or, or you turn it into what you want it to be, I guess. In your case. Yeah. I mean, it also sounds like I've, I've just worked really hard, but that's actually not true some of the time. I think I mentioned this in the notes to you, but it was like, I think a lot. Yeah. So you're hearing all the doing, all the actions. What you're not noticing is I might not have done any extracurricular work for three, four or five weeks, but I've been thinking about it or I've been coming up with something or I've been listening to other people's work or I've been trying to strategize into how to make this better. Yeah. And then you might do it all in a weekend and then it's done. It's still so, do, it's still doing in my book. <laughs> well, I, I give myself less credit because that's who I am anyway. Yeah, like yeah. it sounds like that, oh, with gritted teeth I did all this. No, like I, I just I couldn't help myself. That was who I was. That's what I wanted to do. That was... Yeah. And so I was just absorbing all that stuff. And you do, you do feel lazy because society is like, well, you're not doing it, like do more. Yeah. 
and I'm not, but then I rush my work. So it's like 10 weeks of preparation for one week worth of work sometimes. Yeah. But then that work pays off and you're like, how do I do that? Yeah, and then okay. you just keep doing it over and over again. Interesting, interesting. That's that's probably leading to a few other things that I'm going to get to down the track. But you mentioned something interesting when you were, you were talking about talent uh, and how you, I guess, detected that or you you considered yourself, whether rightly or wrongly, maybe not the best announcer. Um, but obviously in your years of radio, you're working with, we call them talents nowadays, but people with talents in all areas, I would imagine. Um, anyone who's coming into radio, either working in there or coming in as a guest, probably has some sort of talent that's being sort of highlighted. So, are you and, and you are a naturally curious people, person, so I'm thinking you have observed people and we often refer to it as the star quality, but is there something, is there noticeable qualities that you've detected over the years that these people have in common? That's a really good question. So I call the learning through osmosis, like... I am not a radio producer by trade. So when working in the ABC, you've got a bullpen with all of these people that spend all their time just helping the talent okay. do the show that day or that week. And I wouldn't say that I've necessarily done a course or or even, you know, gone out in the field, but because I'm around these people all the time and have that natural curiosity, you're just asking them and you're sitting in on the show by accident or design. And and yeah, and so the talent side of things as well, because I, being an audio guy, you have to work with the talent because I describe myself primarily what I get paid for anyway in the past was a graphics designer, but for sound. And so when you're promoting the talent, obviously you're going to have to work with them to some degree. Yeah. And so back to the original question, I've found that there's a couple of things I can tell you about. It's hard to gauge this one for certain, but from what I can tell is most people are running away from inadequacy as opposed to running towards greatness. Mm. So there's something inside of them. And I've I've listened, I, I follow a lot of other podcasts and when they summarize all the guests, you know, they've hit their thousandth episode and all these great people, very talented, they would say something similar as well, that more people are running away from something and running towards something. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's not inadequacy of like they're not enough of a person. Sometimes it's just a bad show. Yeah. Sometimes they're running away from a bad show instead of striving towards a good show. Okay. Sometimes they're running away from their own kind of standards. Yeah. Like like as in, oh, I need to beat my own standards. I need to be better. I need to to or, or at least hold up the standards that they have in their own minds, whatever mm. that might be. Yeah. And then I would say these kinds of people split into two again. So one of them is the obsessive. Mm. So they're always thinking about it. They're dwelling on it. Their whole world is possible content. Their whole world is an opportunity to discover something, to think about something and then present that in a particular way. The other half, I wouldn't say half, but the other side of the coin, it might be 20, 30% of people, they really are just naturally, they just show up. Yep. They live life. This is who they are. They love it. And it is what it is. And each day is different because they are different every day. Mm -hmm. But most people work really hard, whether by accident or design. I think that's kind of who they are. And they're just obsessing over everything all the time. And that can be quite difficult to work with some of them. Of course. Um, but the other ones that I was talking about, they're a pleasure to work with because um, they're just being them, yeah, right? And they just right. happen to have a skill. Yeah. They happen to be a naturally born entertainer. I think they're the, they're the ones to me that w I would consider a star, someone who's, who's just natural at that and being authentic. I, I understand that I imagine the more recognised you are in life, the harder it is to stay up there and maybe that's how you become obsessive. It reminds me of something that the wonderful Ben Crow, I was listening to a podcast uh, that he was on recently and he talks about most of us listen to our inner critic rather than our inner fan. And I really loved that terminology because I think as humans we all can relate to that. We can really put ourselves down and, and um, 
rather than focusing on what we're good at. And that's something that really stood out to me about you and, and one of the, even our brief conversation that we had um, was that you were focusing on the good parts and, and really continuing to push those. And I think it's a really important lesson, something we don't do enough of. So I'm hoping that um, more people will think about that for themselves. I, I love this train of thought because I sometimes ask people, can you tell me what the voice inside your head Sounds like, like, what are they saying? What's it saying? Yeah. Can I ask you that? Like, what's the voice inside your head more often than not? Is it, is it criticizing you? Is it, is it cheering you on? Yeah, it's a, it's, it, what, it's what, a really great question. Now, I, I have mentioned this a couple of times, again, probably to people my, uh, who know me well, that my voice doesn't shut up. I mean, I can wake up at three in the morning and I'm still talking to myself even while I've been sleeping. So, but my voice is probably a positive voice. But yeah, it, it it needs to shut up sometimes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a talker. <laughs> what about yours? I would imagine you're also a positive talker. No. Oh. But I'm not but I'm not negative either. Ah. I have one phrase that goes around over and over again. Obviously it manifests in different wording. Yeah. But the meaning is the same, which is what do you want to do about it? Ah. Okay, so you're saying that depending on what's going on, there's your voice is telling you to stop and think and, and what can we do as opposed to why are we worrying about things we can't control? Yeah, it's like a it's like a collaboration with myself. Wow. It's like, okay, I've got a podcast interview with Tanya. What do you want to do about it? Like I know that sounds silly, but it's like It's like your it's inner parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this is this is true. Like it's like, wait, do I just show up and be me? Do I do what I've seen so many other performers do, which is they actually go into a state for maybe two hours prior oh. and just sort of almost like a form of meditation. Yeah. Do I write notes and do a whole bunch of stuff? And that's the point is what do you want to do about it? So it's like everything is just here's a thing. What are the choices and what are you going to pick and act on? Mm. Um, and sometimes I ignore it. Of course I do. Yeah. I'm like any human being. But sometimes I take it very seriously and I just decide if there's a benefit to listening to it and sometimes there's not and I just let it go and keep living my life. Okay. Well, I like your voice. I think that that's a really measured, good voice to have in your head. And for those that may have more of that inner critic, um, they might want to learn that phrase, what do you want to do about it? And maybe <laughs> um, maybe it'll help them. Who knows? Um, maybe. I mean, how, cool. I, how does someone change the voice inside their head? I'd more just stick with what's the benefit of that particular voice. Like, I, I say this all the time because when I became a manager in radio, like that was, I figured out really early, everyone runs towards something or runs away from something, which is what we touched on earlier. Mm. And I was like, so two people want to be rich. One's running towards holidays and yachts and cars and one's running away from poverty. It's both the same goal, but it's a different driving force. I wonder if it is more simple instead of just, changing the inner voice, but just making the inner voice productive towards a goal that's really important to you. Yeah. Well, to me, that then comes back to things that I talk to people about, which is priorities. Um, so you can have lots of goals, but then you've got to prioritise what's important. Yeah. And generally, if something really, really, really is important to you, you're going to put a bit more effort towards that. So Maybe for you, that inner critic is or inner voice is saying, well, let's not get bogged down in all the detail. Let's just do something. Mm. Um, but where it might relate to a personal goal of yours, that is, again, guiding you to actually take action rather than mm. sitting there thinking about it. So, yeah, I think it's really fascinating, actually. It might be a question that I need to ask more people what their, what their inner voice uh, it's fascinating it the answers you it, get. In fact, you'll, it's a, you'll be it's, so surprised. Yeah. Like I'm so pleased that your voice is such a cheerleader, <laughs> you know. Like, but um, there, there's so many people that you would just think that they're so happy and they're like, oh, they just just keeps berating me. Yeah, you know, you're so stupid for doing that. Wow. Always, it's like that's a hard life to live. Like, and it's yeah. happening. And people, we never ask that question, nor do people mm. think to tell it. Mm. So it's just it's an absolute fascinating insight. Slight tangent which we don't have to follow but yeah. there is a percentage of the population that don't have an inner voice as well 
And it sounds crazy to someone that has an inner voice, but they are actually out there and they're really good at reading. They're really good at mathematics. Like, and they're like, how do you remember stuff? Like, how do you, it's like, we just write it down. And they're like, how do you know when you're sad? It's like, we have feelings. It's just not, (laughs) it's not a dialogue that goes along with it. So yeah, yeah, for all those people listening out there that uh, don't have an inner voice, that's okay. (laughs) Lucky you is what I say, because as I say, mine doesn't shut up. But um, yeah, I guess we're we're all different, aren't we? Which is, which is what I love um, the most of all. And, and the reason we're here talking, I think it's important to share stories, share information, share knowledge, share share a bit of fun as well. So I'll bring it back to your career and I, I, I want to, well, I want to stay on the fun theme actually and I wonder if you can share with us your funniest or maybe even worse, your most embarrassing moment in uh, broadcast radio. Yeah, yesterday I was on this radio station because they're having a celebrating their 30th year mm-hmm. on air and I came back as someone that used to work there and as a manager uh, I was the youngest manager in commercial radio at the time at 25. Right. And um, they were doing a lot of renovations uh, to the building and the electricians had been there. And anyway, something must have happened and it scrambled the key card swipes to get into the building. Now, anyone that knows radio, breakfast radio is the most important time. And so all the news readers and all the breakfast announcers all, all start rocking up about 4.30 in the morning to start presenting at 6 a.m. And I got a call at 4.30 saying, we can't get in, the swipe cards do not work. Uh-oh. And you're like, all right, well, this, this shouldn't be too hard, right? Like, how hard could this be? It was really hard <laughs> because the computer needed to be restarted. And guess what? That was on the other side of the door that needed the swipe card. Oh, my goodness. So how do you break, how do you get into that? And I started calling security people. Remember, this is 4, four in the morning, 4.30, 5 a.m., and I got all these people wanting to get in. Now, here's the ticking clock like a Hollywood movie. Once 6 o'clock comes around, the local computer system would switch over, but the network feed that was coming in for the overnight would still be playing. So you would literally have songs playing over songs, ads playing, and then you would Uh-oh. have dead air. And so it was going to be disastrous, <laughs> like, absolutely. So there's pressure, right? There's, there's stuff going and I'm, I'm trying to call people in the network. Like surely someone's solved this problem before. No one's answering because it's an insane, insane yeah. time to, to answer a phone. And I don't know, the clock's ticking down. I'm running out of time. I've probably got maybe 45 minutes left. Uh And I remember an ad, an ad from my own radio station that was like, hey, we're a 24-hour glass repair place. And I'm like, that's Mm. an odd service at the time. And then I thought back, what if we break into our own radio station (laughs) so that we can get to the computer to reset it so everyone can get in? And I called up the place and obviously I've woken up some guys and they're like, Kai, can you can you break a window so we can get in and then can you fix that window? It's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so and I said, well, we're on a bit of a time yeah, frame. Hurry. Yeah. Can, we, can we move it along? <laughs> oh, anyway, got there much more sophisticated than throwing a rock at a window. They have the suction cups and they have the little special knives. And there was a panel in the door on the lower panel and they sucked it up and then watching all the people duck and scramble like it was an army drill to get in quick, everyone running off to their little stations just ready to start pressing buttons and get on the the air. We had like three minutes to spare. Oh, my goodness. And the Tamworth community was none the wiser. Beautiful. They got all the the broadcasting. (laughs) So the day I had to break into a radio station. Nice. Well, I would have just thrown a rock, so well done to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was my thought too. But I thought, let's let's talk to someone that knows more about glass than I do. And that just shows that advertising pays, right? Advertising works. That's right. When you need it most. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who would have thought? So you used also um, in, in some material that you sent to me the term the attention economy. And it was something that actually I haven't heard before, um, which which is probably strange because the, the minute I heard it, I loved it. Where did you hear that term? How do you use that? I actually don't know where I heard ah. it. Um I would Maybe call it osmosis, right? Just leader. pulled it in from somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally listen to everything on double speed, so I just ingest. Yeah. 
like where I can. <laughs> I'm no match for actual blind people that can do it about times five wow. speed. They're insane. Amazing. But back on topic, the attention economy, I sort of started to realize that we keep talking about like data is the new oil. Have you ever heard of that yes. expression? Like data, 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 collect data, metrics, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's actually not really. It's all in the name of getting your attention, mm. right? Because if I have more information on you, then I can talk to you in a way that you're more likely to give me your attention. That's what it's for. True. Because everyone's trying to sell something or promote something or give a message. And data is not the end game here. Data is the tool to help get your attention. And then as I started to think about it, I'm like, well, I started professional radio in late 2006. I was on MySpace. Like, yeah. <laughs> like for a couple of years, actually. Like, so this social media thing and everyone being their own marketer and promoter just really wasn't a thing. So the attention economy was just the broadcast mediums, right? And maybe on small scale on forums on the internet and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then something happened that everyone decided that they're going to be their own media company. And I have to do all my own social media and do all my own posts and pictures and videos and podcasts. And all that sort of stuff. And it's all the same reason is I'm trying to get your attention and then I'm trying to use that attention to some degree that helps me or my cause or my my angle. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like there's nothing wrong with um, promoting a wonderful message or letting you know that you have a product or service that can actually solve a problem. The problem becomes that it's an arms race for the attention, not who has the better product. And we've had this for a problem for a long time anyway because if you had a, a deeper pocket, you could buy more TV ads than the person down the street, right? Yeah. And then the rich get richer, blah, blah, blah. But everyone is sort of like, I don't know when we all agreed on this, but it's like, yeah, you're responsible, you're responsible for your own attention now, like, like cultivating your own attention. And one of the reasons why I like podcasts, and I'm really glad you're doing one as well, is it's still one of the most trusted forms of attention Mm. and I'm not I'm not really sure why the halo effect is still so strong there maybe because we customize our own podcast I'm only listening to it because I want to Mm. but it's such a great way I call them credibility indicators I can tell you the source from that one that came from Tim Ferriss but a credibility indicator is something that quickly qualifies that person as going, yeah, I trust them or, yeah, I want to give them my attention freely and I'm glad I am as opposed to, oh, you're making me give you attention because it's negative or it's clickbait or something like that. So I don't know when that changes, but that's why I am in the industry. I believe in it. I don't believe in commercial radio and I haven't for a little while. Mm. And that's when I started making the switch. Yeah, got it. To podcast because I want to be a part of something that I – I value and I understand. And I am a part of the attention economy. Maybe I'm higher up the scale. Maybe I play with bigger clients and there's bigger dollars at stake. But we're all a part of it. When you send a post out saying like, hey, like you should vote for this person or you should watch out for this wildlife park, like you're hoping that someone gives you some level of attention, aren't you? It's true. So so we're all there and we can all benefit from having some level of understanding of just knowing who you are, knowing your purpose and knowing your tribe, like who who is most appreciative of this kind of message. Mm. Uh, and even when um, you invited me onto this podcast, the first thing I started to think of is what can I offer your kinds of listeners that might be helpful and beneficial to them because that helps with the attention of the podcast. Because if I just keep talking about, yeah, I did this thing and I'm so great and I'm so awesome, <laughs> they've already gone, right? <laughs> and, and thank you for still being here if you are Thank here. you. Thank you, people, um, yes. Because that's what it's exactly. about, right? The attention yeah. economy. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because, well, there's, there's a number of things that are interesting there. But, yeah, it, I, I guess I hadn't looked at it from that angle before as getting attention everyone would have a different reason why they started a podcast. Mine is that it's just a way for people to relate their situation to others. And I think the more we hear from other people in all different walks of life, the more we can pick up on little bits and say, oh, that's like me, or hey, that that guy did it, I can too, which was something that I thought was really powerful. I didn't realise that podcasts, and you said, was the most trusted uh, form. I, I actually was under the false impression, hopefully, that um, video content was the way to go and, and 
as much as I like talking, I hate cameras. So um, <laughs> hence I'm on a podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's fascinating that people are really tuning into that. And you're right, people are picking and choosing the things that they want to listen to based on what they want to hear about, which, which of course, um, is getting I, their attention. I, yeah, and I think as well you – you have an ability to build a relationship. Traditionally, most mm. podcasts are over five minutes, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of the nature of the medium is let's have a chat yeah. to interesting human beings. Yes. Being open and honest and sharing thoughts and wisdom and experiences. Mm. And you can't help but get into that sometimes. So no wonder you love podcasts because it's it's not that you love podcasts, you love your shows and your people I love that happen people. to be through the platform yeah. and distribution of podcasts. And for me, like... The attention economy can be quite negative and can be quite deceptive, mm. but the real aim we're all looking for here is trust. And whenever we speak up, is what we're saying helping someone or making their life better or giving them a place to escape or are we making their life worse by, hey, I'm taking some of your time and attention mm. to something that's not helpful to you, that's not worth it to you, I'm not solving your problems. Yeah. I don't care about you. So trust is – because I ask that people – like so many people are obsessed with the numbers, right? Like if you put a video up – so I just put a TikTok video yeah. up and I got 12,500 views. Wow. And that's the thing. You just said, wow, but it actually doesn't matter if no one cared. Like they might have flicked it. I don't know how TikTok measures the metrics of a view. Was it three seconds? Because I would rather 300 people that watched it all the way through and am now a fan – than 12,000 that didn't care less. Right. And I say to people, think about the amount of people in a room. If you have 300 people that is listening to your your words or you're watching your videos, can you imagine all of those 300 people in a room? That's pretty impressive. That's really powerful. And for me, I ask people, if you could measure anything, what would you measure? Because at the moment, we just measure what's easy, yeah. not what's important. Mm. And I would say the number one response, and I agree with, is trust. Yeah. That's pretty hard to measure. You can do it, and I won't talk about it in depth here. But that's the ultimate aim of everything that we're doing is, did you add something to the world that helps people trust you mm. a little bit more than they did before they read it or consumed this This. This product okay. or medium. Interesting idea. Mm. I, I look at it as connection. I think as humans mm. we fundamentally want connection and that when you find stories that you can connect to, that that's when maybe you might build trust. So I guess it's it's probably all related and tied in. I should let people know that how we met, and, and it's a little dirty secret I've been keeping, but again, uh, for, for those that are loyal Money Mind listeners, they will know that the quality of my podcast has varied at times and, and could even be referred to by some people as terrible. But that's because I am just terrible with technology. And uh, whilst we have the wonderful um, Ralph, uh, who's been helping me, <laughs> he's had to go higher up the food chain and say, this girl really needs some help. And he sent me to you um, and you solved my problem pretty quickly, um, which which is great. But you also said to me that through my terrible podcasting <laughs> quality, you also uh, sort of learnt something. And it was, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've quite got this right, but um, you'll correct me, something to do with sort of AI and technology and some sort of hybrid thing that you've managed to come up with. Would you like to share a bit about that? Yeah, I'll um, I'll try and keep it towards the audience as opposed to the deep tech. Yeah, okay. <laughs> witchcraft, hocus pocus. I recognise that when the pandemic came, that audio is going to change because everyone was doing it from home. Yeah. And I knew enough about audio that audio is very ghost-like and it's like if a listener is recording themselves on a mobile phone or something like that, you're not really thinking about the environment and then when you hear back, you're like, wow, I can't hear myself. Well, the other person on the phone is like, hey, you're, you're too far away, you're too echoey, things like that. And um, But also it was starting to be the rise of tools and technology and techniques 
that hadn't really been done before because most of my work was in controlled environments. They were already studio ready. And that's what the point of spending $250,000 on a studio was, is that everyone could just walk in, press go, walk away and everything's perfect. Yeah. Now that that disappeared. And so I used that time and energy to to take stuff that was really bad and save it. And that's what people were coming to me. They weren't very few people say, hey, can you make my work better? They come to me and say, can you save my work? Yes. That's, that's what people want to pay me for because they understand the problem and they're willing to give money yeah. for that. And so I started to change from I'm someone that makes great stuff to I'm someone that saves stuff. Mm. And so what I do is every project I have, I practice and I play because there's a difference between Tanya's podcast and Bunnings. Oh, yes. Bigger budget. So, and I know this sounds arrogant, but sometimes it's, I don't need the money. It's, I'm not lacking in work. I'm not lacking in the ability to do my best work. Sometimes I'm lacking the freedom to try things and it's okay not to work out because the stakes are not as high. And no one's expecting much anyway. See, sometimes when you're coming in, they're already expecting something great, so you need to do all sorts of things Mm -hmm. to make that work. But what if you try it a different way? And an expression I'm using a lot lately is, there's a difference between walking the path and discovering the path. Mm -hmm. And when you've got new technology, and AI is moving really, really fast right now, like what I would say to you today is going to be wrong in three weeks already because there's so many things moving parts. But that's the practice that I'm doing with myself is that every project that comes along that I can take on and have the time to do, I'm using that as a way to get better. It's not the work. It's I'm getting paid to be educated by myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm glad I've contributed to your education. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I obviously I didn't know you before, yeah. so I was only talking to um, your producer, Ralph. Yeah. And it was like if it didn't work, that's okay. And a lot of people also don't notice. Like you might hear that and go, "It's oh, not that much better." But that's that's the path you need to walk. Like how much can it be better, or is it just a little bit? And is those little bits worth it, or is mm-hmm. it not? That's that's the experiment. That's the practice. Well, it was, so. it's, it's interesting too because um, I learnt quite a number of years ago that. If you waited for something, if you waited for yourself to be good at something or for something to be perfect to have a go, you'd actually probably never get there. And I see it in a lot of people, especially creative types, to be honest, they they are, uh, they have harsh inner critics and they'll often keep tweaking their whatever um, before releasing it to the world, as I say. Um, The wonderful thing of myself not considering myself a creative is that I'm prepared to have a go and if it's terrible, oh, well, um, someone will let yeah. me know if it's really bad and, and they'll let me know by not listening again. But imagine if people don't care and keep listening and, and that was always sort of my goal was not to really take it personally but just to keep putting it out there. So it's... That's great. You know, That's really Interesting good. Yeah. that it's also led to you honing your craft in a way, I guess, it, what I'm sort of trying to get to in a weird way, a long way, is that my perceived failures in in technology and sound have led to other successes potentially for you or or other people that I don't know about. So if everybody just keeps keeping on, I think there's people out there who are getting value for whatever reason. We may not ever really see the true cost of that. Imagine if you didn't show up because, oh, the sound isn't quite right. Yeah, oh, like, many times I've need, wanted to just go, oh, this is shit, I better just you, stop. You, but you need to practice. That's right. That's the yeah, thing. That's right. Like I, I, I have a new phrase now. I'm borrowing it. It's not mine. Yeah. Uh, momentum over perfection. Yeah, okay. And the funny thing is my my half-assed attempt is so much better than most perfectionists now because you just keep doing it. Yeah. There is no substitute to just getting in there because you get that real-world feedback, either from your inner voice or external voices, right? Yeah. And so you've gone, as you do it, you're focusing on the content and the interviews and how it all flows and your presentation. And over time, that's getting better. And you're like, huh, but I'm starting to notice that I don't like this as much now. Like, you can't fix everything all at once. You can't go from nothing to everything. True. 
It's all a journey. True. And the world is better for you showing up anyway. Possibly. Than to sort of waiting for it to be just right. And then even if it is just right, it's still not going to be that good anyway. And you still need another 10, 20, 30 episodes 100%. to reach your stride anyway. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and look, you know, you raise your own personal bar anyway. And, and I'm not the one saying, oh, gee, it didn't sound great. Poor old Ralph is, is saying, God, we've got to do something. <laughs> Sorry, Ralph. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Now we need to get into the money talk uh, because that's what we're here for. So I guess the obvious place for me to start is you are a freelancer and I would imagine that that really equates to being self-employed. And in self-employed land, we know that um, we don't always know where our next dollar is coming from. What did you learn early um, or I guess maybe it wasn't early, but what what did you learn about managing your money as a freelancer over time? I don't know where it came from, but I've always been good at keeping money unless there's a good reason to use it. Mm. So I already had the baseline. So there's no lesson here where it's like, oh, I used to be this and then I was that. I'm not sure where that came from. If I have very small amounts of money, I used to spend it for some reason, because it almost felt like that the saving wasn't quite worth it. But then as you start to have good jobs or big jobs, then you kind of hoard it. Yeah. I think it's coming from that farming background, like make hay yeah. while the sun shines. Yeah. Like you just work really hard when the work's on offer. And then when it's raining, you just do what you need to do. Mm. And the, 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 the literal figure in the bank is an indicator of then how you're going to live your life. Like, yeah. Do I have a lot coming in, which means I can now start to trade money for time or energy. And if I don't have much, then you start to obviously do the reverse. And I had one of the worst experiences of my life with money um, when I was working on the Central Coast in commercial radio mm. and I screwed myself over for money. Uh, like like I, I told them the real wage, which was minimum wage, <laughs> and they barely offered over that, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But the... The lesson there, and this is what I took into freelancing, was you can live without time if you have money and you can live without money if you have time, but you cannot live without money or time. Mm. And so as long as you're juggling that act as a freelancer, okay, so I've got three, four, five, six jobs all happening at once. I need to spend some money to distribute that energy and that time better. Right. So whether I'm getting someone else in to Help. Yep. pull some of the weight or it's a tool, mm -hmm. sometimes it's literally just buying a plug-in or spending money on something or spending money outside of your life. I don't have time to do X, Y, Z, so I'm spending some more money out there yeah. so I can keep doing the work in here. But then the reverse is true as well. It starts drying up and you swap, I'm going to save a whole bunch of money by dedicating time. You buy the bad cut of meat and spend time pulling the bones yeah, out. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that's that's the freelancer's life is if you know how to swap between knowing when to spend money and knowing when to save money and spend time, yeah. then you're going to do all right. Well, you've got the fundamentals right and you you mentioned in the sentence that you said you know you you live your life by what's in the bank um, which you just gave examples of but a lot of people uh, and and probably the majority of people don't do that they spend more than they earn they actually don't look in the bank um, so fundamentally and I think it is a farming background thing if, if I'm being true uh, because of the seasons. And because of nature and the effect to crops, for example, uh, yeah. you just don't know if next year's crop is going to be the best one ever or get wiped out by plague, weather, etc. So you always put aside for that rainy day, literally. Um, yeah. And so what you're doing is you're going and saying, oh, there's money in the bank. Great. Now I can afford to buy that tech that's going to help me get a cleaner um, you know, order takeaway, they're all examples of where you might yeah. outsource or spend more. But when there's no money, you're going to be cooking your own dinner, cleaning your own bathroom and manually fixing whatever. Manually. Mm. Yeah. So really, exactly really, right. really critical lessons for people, whether you're a <laughs> freelancer or not. Um, it's look in the bank, people, and go and see whether you've got the money for that, which is great. Now, another little thing is... You make a little money with what I would call a side hustle, uh, but probably what 
we would refer to as passive income. Do you want to share a little bit about that? I do. I I was apprehensive to talk about it mm. because when money seems like that it just falls in your lap, you can have some pretty different opinions from people True. and they change how they they treat you. I'm going to do it anyway because everyone loves a story. It's like I, I probably shouldn't be telling you this. <laughs> this is my secret. Listen, no people. Knows this. Listen, yeah. That's right. Whispering on a podcast, that works very exactly. well, doesn't it? Um, so it's luck. I mean, I worked hard to have the opportunity to catch the luck, but it was still luck. I make money from music royalties, mm -hmm. which is traditionally done from having a hit song, but there's other ways to do that as well. Okay. This was the second bite of the cherry for me. So in the radio world, there's things called production music, which is when you hear a lot of TV shows, like like reality TV shows and stuff, or ads on on the radio or TV, they're not famous hit songs, are no. they? They're not. Sometimes they are, but often they're not. Yeah. And that music has to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so there's an arrangement where it's like I make songs, and then anyone can access that song. Uh, but if you use it, you got to pay me royalties as you keep using got it. it. So. But unlike if I wanted to to get a Beatles song for my ad, which would be very expensive, yes. I actually got to agree to a figure up front before I've even used it. Yeah. I've got to give you a whole bunch of money and still probably pay royalties anyway. So for me, these royalties, and I know people in the book world, it happens in uh, book deals as well, which is basically like per play of music that I have written, composed and um, recorded yeah. and performed, that I am getting a small amount of money per play and then that adds up and they give me a check after six months for a three-month period and that keeps going as long as the music's being played. Great. Well, well done to you. And look, obviously, whilst that is a bit of a secret, um, not everybody will be able to go and do that for themselves, right? No. Um, so no. it's 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 a secret, but it's it's not necessarily something that everybody can um, can necessarily apply themselves to. But there's probably things in everybody's field that they can go and look for, and I would imagine that there's a compounding effect, right? It, that the more the more those things get played, or the more people pick up your little. I was going to use the word jingles, but that's probably not the right term. Close enough. Um, you're going to slowly get more of that; those royalties paid to you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I have no control yeah. over how often or little. Uh, imagine like a textbook for a university and you write it and you start getting royalties per copy and in the libraries and stuff like that. If that university decides we're not using that this semester and from then on out, that's that's mm. it. But I was thinking about it from other people's point of view. Of course, most people will never be able to do the music side of things. But it's finding the those special places that no one's thought of, that there is a lot of money to be found that's hiding in plain sight for some people. Yeah. And the reason why I wasn't in there earlier is because I didn't know the game. Mm. Like I was doing this stuff anyway, but I wasn't getting paid. Right, yeah. And it wasn't until I started hitting the books yeah. metaphorically, like online and researching and ringing people and asking questions yeah. and just digging away. It took me literally years, tenure, yeah. to be able to solve that puzzle to know what to say, what paperwork to fill out, what you're doing. And there's a chance that maybe you're doing work where there's some money being left on the table. It might not necessarily be royalties, but a situation mm. that just digging a little bit deeper into your field or industry or situation mm. that might uncover some. And the, the honest truth is, we just sometimes we're, it, it just feels so unlikely that we just don't even bother. Yeah, that's true. And and that's the funny thing is, I kind of knew it was there, but I was so busy being young and doing the work that I just didn't want to read. Yeah. And figure that. And now I'm looking back, and what I know is, I've I've left probably a quarter of a million dollars on the table because of my use of not caring enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good point of pay attention and and look for opportunity wherever you can, and whether it's a dollar or a hundred thousand dollars, it's yeah. it's still yours, right? Um, yeah. And especially creating those little passive income streams and something that you now don't really have to do any work for, but you're getting paid. 
um, mm. the work is done and it rolls in. And I think that's yeah. really, everybody's probably got some kind of little side hustle like that if they really put their mind to it. So it's a great, it's a great lesson that that really pays. Mm. And I'm sure that must give you some peace of mind if work was slow, that there's something, a check still coming in the door, so to speak. Yeah, well, I, I've saved it all. Right. I mean, I know accountants aren't thrilled with that, <laughs> but <laughs> a franking credits. Music to uh, my ears, so, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm essentially just using it as like a, a side nest egg. Okay. Because I don't know, like you can't rely on it, right? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. So maybe it happens for another 10 years, maybe it all ends tomorrow. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. So the point is that you just let it sit there. I'll pay tax. And then if I'm not doing anything, then I can start f- credit like the franking credits yes. back right yeah Something yeah, like yeah, yeah i don't right. know it's just slightly over my head i'm not qualified <coughs> well, to talk on it but i i just know it's not the worst plan in the world it's not That's a bad plan and, and yeah. i can't give yeah. tax advice either so we'll we'll <laughs> leave that to your accountant or we'll all be in yeah. trouble what does um financial freedom mean to you financial freedom to me is not obsessing over the price tag while still being sensible okay because I know that there is an infinite way to spend money in this life. There is. And I have seen people that your financial situation also determines your social circle and your tribe. And when you radically move out of that, whether by losing a lot or gaining a lot, you're saying goodbye to a lot of things mm. as well. Mm. So, because you hear that all the time, like you talk to people about if they were to win the lottery, oh, I'm going to spend it all. Yeah, and your family will hate you. Yeah. And everyone will start to come out of the woodwork of saying what their problems is and why they need the money. Yeah. So for me, and I've kind of got it at the moment, I mean, for the for the bigger ticket items, like I don't have a, a place I would call my home yet, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. And I think that's unwise to go, oh, I don't want to look at the price tag. That's silly. But I'm talking about just 99% of life where you can just go – it's something I need. It brings me joy. It solves a problem and it's not going to break on me and I don't have to worry if it fails. It's just all right. Yeah. You know, finding that balance. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yep. I think that's great. It's good to... Am I aiming too low? Uh, well, no, um, not really at all. I think, you know, you you manage your money well and your attitude to money really well. I think... It's probably right for you because I don't believe you should ever be out of your comfort zone with your money either. So you you don't want to be pushed to do something that's radically not you. Do I believe people need a roof over their head as a home? Yes. But a lot of people refer to that as an asset, whereas I actually think it's more of a lifestyle asset. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. an investment. Everybody sort of needs a roof over their head, but you could get one renting. So do you need to own one? Maybe in Australia it feels like um, homeowners are are rewarded maybe at at retirement and so on. But, um, you know, I think you've got to look at your situation, your priorities, your time frame and your comfort level to determine whether you're going to push harder or not in that area. Mm. So, yeah, tricky one And, and really just something for, I guess, you to have a think about in terms of those priorities. Um, I think it probably mm. comes back to that. Well, I, I had another question for you and you might not want to say it, but in your, and I'll tell you a very, very quick story before mm. you answer is how much credit card debt do you find people have? Because when you said, you know, uh, what's freedom to you yeah. in, in regards to a financial sense, I've never had credit card debt. Good. I've never, I've never had, I mean, sometimes you like forget the date and you got a dollar fifty worth sure. of interest, yeah. but- I swear that in hushed tones, in the right corners, a lot of people I know have like 40 grand in credit card and stuff. So am I just overlooking that mark and and I should just be appreciative that that I'm special or or is actually, no, it's not as bad as... Like what's going no, on no, there you're doing a really sensible thing. So, um, you know, I have to be very careful not to give personal financial advice because sure, we, we can't sure. necessarily do that in, in, in a simple form. But there's good debt and bad debt. Uh, good debt is investment debt that is producing income for you. And bad debt generally is debt that isn't. Now, credit card has generally gone on consumer items that aren't income producing, uh, mostly it's, you know, eating out, um, clothes, um, you know, 
sometimes it is paying bills if we don't quite have the cash. But again, we've got to pay that money back and we pay interest for it that's not deductible to us. So a lot of the time we talked about this a little bit before was is that people live beyond their means. They spend more mm. than they earn. Um, realistically, you shouldn't ever need a credit card. You should live within your means. You may use credit cards to pay your bills and expenses, but then repay that credit card each month. And some people like to do that for points. Um, there's no problem with that strategy. If you're repaying your credit card every month, there's no real problem. It's when people get into trouble is that they can't or end up spending more. And what happens with credit cards and even cash flow nowadays, uh, we don't receive cash. We don't get that little pay packet full of cash. Mm. Um, and so we we're not quite aware of how much we earn each week and then how much we're spending. We tap and go, our phones do it for us, our watch does it, all kinds of crazy uh, devices can spend our money without us even thinking about it. We're subscriptions and all these sort of things that are automatically spending your money before you even think. So you already referred before when you said, well, you, you live your life by what's in the bank. So you're quite conscious of what's there and then therefore you adjust your lifestyle. But for the person who doesn't and who uses credit cards, they're accidentally mounting that sort of uh, bigger and bigger and bigger expense to the point where they, mm -hmm. on a month-by-month -month basis, they can't repay it. And then we get a little bit of that ostrich syndrome, which is where we put our head in the sand and sort of hope it'll magically go away. Um, or we'll magically win the lotto or something will happen that will just eliminate that debt amazingly. For people who suddenly realise that that's never going to happen, they'll often come and see us and say, what do we need to do here? And there's no short mm. answer other than work really hard to repay that. And that's where we talk about things like, well, you might have to get a second job or you might have to go through your wardrobe and sell a few items and start paying down some lump sums. Um, but there's nothing more than a little bit of heartache there to, to get people motivated to get on with it. So, yeah, don't go using credit, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, if I if I looked at uh, my scales as much as my bank balance, I'd probably be a much leaner man. Ah, uh, look, that's, you know, we've all got our areas of things that we like to spend our money on and um, mm. we've got to eat too. So yep, if you like yep. eating well, then that's where your money goes. Some Everybody's got something, right? So I wouldn't worry about that yep. too much. Uh, that's yep. just life. So... My, my other question that I often ask people is that I believe that people who are at the forefront of change are curious in nature. And I, I knew the first time I met you that you're curious and we've talked about that a lot. What's something that's on your radar at the moment um, that you're curious about? I am a big fan of what I call solving the people puzzle because as I got better at my craft, I realised that there was a point where it didn't matter anymore and it was about how I interact with people. Mm. And when I helped you with some of that um, audio stuff, that was a part of my practice is working with people that I don't know and trying to solve people's problems with where they're at, not where I'm at but where they're mm. at and getting to a quick resolution and... I have noticed since the pandemic that you used to just walk down the hallway and have relationships with your boss and the people that you're working with. And what's happened is we were fine working remotely at the start and then time moved on and people left their jobs yeah. or they changed departments or their job description changed yeah. or they just forgot who you were because you haven't talked to them for two years. Yeah. And because I'm I'm not really a freelancer, but I, for the sake of this conversation, I am, which is I have so many different people and departments and layers within those. I swear I'm talking to a good 50 different people per yeah. week. Like, And then I won't speak to that person again for three months. And no one wants to hear the nuance and the complexity of stuff. Most people are just like, do this for me. And if you're saying I can't, people are like, why not? Like, <laughs> why are you saying no to me? Yeah. And so the puzzle, the thing I'm thinking about a lot right now is creating 
laws of nature that explain why you can't do something so I can quickly give you a sentence so you can pass that sentence on to someone else so they can pass that on to someone else and so on and so forth. Because I realise that a lot of the problems are people are either very afraid, like this has got to work, you know, my job's depending on it, there's a lot of money Mm -hmm. at stake here, so they're making decisions out of fear, never a good idea haven't seen too many good outcomes where the decisions came from fear. But understandably, there's layers in that. And some people are just a representative of someone further away that's not talking to me. They're the one that's giving the money. They're the ones that are giving the orders. And a lot of these people are afraid because they just want to give some information back to someone. Mm. And so by me doing a deep dive and explanation going, well, you could do this, but dot, 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 dot they don't care, they're not tuned in, and they're like, yeah, but how do I make myself look good to the person above me or to beside me? And so I started to take that on myself, not because anyone made me, but because that's who I am. And I'm curious to going, was there a way to be able for everyone's feelings to be resolved in a very fast amount of time with very little effort? Mm. And so that was to the chagrin of my partner because I kept talking aloud about it and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Tess, um, that I sort of figured out that, hang on, it's it's not me versus you, it's us versus nature. Most requests I have, it's like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. If you had Hollywood money, yes. <laughs> if the laws of physics were broken, yes. absolutely, it's a great idea. Yeah. And so I started and I still am, I'm working on it and I might release it properly and hand it out to all my peers, which is just laws of nature that explain very quickly why this thing that you want to be done can't really be done and if it could, you can't afford it. (laughs) It's a a very long and complex way of just turning around and saying no. No. Exactly. But no one wants to hear no. Well, but I will I will end on yeah. this part right. is I, I have got one way of saying no without saying no. And I thought you and other people might like to hear this. So if you ask me for something that I can't really give, instead of saying no, I said if I were to say no, what would happen next? Ah, so they're thinking and prepared. So now the emphasis is on them yes. to tell me what the consequence is of the no as opposed to me giving a justification why I'm saying that. Because I haven't actually said no. I'm just wanting to learn what the cost is of saying no. And more often than not, the couple of times I've used it and I've I've talked to people after the fact as well, is nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. It just, it's, life will move on. So I'm being obviously very obsessive on this, but <laughs> I can't help it. And I believe that if I can I can solve this to some level of degree, that's going to increase my productivity. People are going to be happier with my stuff because my work's fine. Yeah. My work's good enough. But you want to feel like, oh, that guy really listened to me and he cared enough. And you don't want to hear someone that you're paying to say, no, true. no, I'm not doing true. that. True. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, I think I think turning it back on them is, is a great place to start um, because then they're already uh, thinking about, well, what is the outcome and it's probably not that bad anyway so um yeah, it's, it's solving the problem together yeah, yeah yeah solving the problem together it's not me versus you it's us versus a problem love it well on that note we've been talking and i think we probably could talk for hours i think that's just uh, both our natures so i might yeah. uh, i might call it quits and let you get back to some of your paid work as opposed to sure, uh, sure. joining me on this podcast but i've really enjoyed talking with you um, i definitely thank you obviously and i'm sure our listeners will thank you for your improvement to our sound today um, but again thanks so much for your time thank you daniel this podcast is for general information only It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.